The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. I am Sai, and joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, the Saturday Night Expert, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, sir? Thank you very much for that intro, Sai. I'm doing well, and it's appropriate that we're recording this on Saturday night. It is. It is. Saturday night is all right for fighting, as a, a certain spectacled man once said. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny, sure. I'm mentioning that, it's funny because one of my favourite bands of all time is a band called Wasp. And I've seen them live. Yeah. Like, Well, I'm seeing them live in a couple of weeks again. And it's like the 16th time I've gone. And I, I actually love them. I've done since I was about 10 years old. I love everything they've ever done. And they've done Led Zeppelin covers and... Um, uh, Metallica covers as well as their own stuff obviously and it's all really really good apart from a random cover version they did of Saturday Night is Alright for Fighting by Alton John it is the wow. worst thing I have ever heard in my life it is awful <laughs> so there we go it goes to show that even uh, even if you love a, a musical artist they don't always knock it out of the park every time Danny do they I suppose very true mate very true <laughs> Ah, there we go. Something that is knocking it out of the park with regards to the ratings every time at the moment is, of course, Monday Nitro. Look at that for a segue. How professional are we? August the 5th, 1996 edition of Monday Nitro we are looking at this week. The Go Home Show before the Sturgis Hogwild pay-per-view, which is on a Saturday night as well, Danny, rather than the usual Sunday, which is unique. Uh, yeah. This episode of Nitro comes to us once again, and I think for a little while potentially you know potentially forever the last time from disney mgm studios uh this episode of nitro got a flat 3.0 in the monday night war in the monday night war ratings whereas raw got a 2.8 so a narrow victory but a victory all the same danny it makes sense mate i mean they're just going up and up and up so yeah i'm we're here for it Indeed. Uh, on that edition of Monday Night Raw, we are heading in to obviously being, you know, the end of July, we're heading towards SummerSlam time in the WWF. 
And that edition of Raw had Jerry Lawler defeating Aldo Montoya, which doesn't exactly sound like a groundbreaking match for us to check out at any stage. But Jerry Lawler did bring a microphone into the ring and provide his own commentary for part of it, which I think could be quite amusing. So maybe I will go look at that at some point. Uh, yeah. After the match, <laughs> Jerry Lawler forced Montoya to drink a bottle of liquor. Because he's still in his feud with Jake the Snake, I guess, and doing all that horrible stuff of his drinking, Danny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's on a Jerry Lawler DVD because I do remember um, that uh, instance where he did uh, bring a microphone in the ring because it's very unique, isn't it? I'm, mm. I'm shocked I haven't seen it uh, more often. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, the Body Donners, Skip and Zip defeated the new rockers oh dear me marty Ginetti and leaf cassidy by dq so i mean you're watching the body donners versus marty Ginetti and leaf cassidy you don't even get a clean finish jesus uh (laughs) the body donners won by dq when the smoking guns interfered and then after the match the godwins ran in to make the save so it doesn't seem like it gets any better the more bodies they throw at it and then speaking of more bodies the main event of the show is a 11-man battle royal, uh, which Ahmed Johnson won, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time. Ahmed has earned a world title shot for the day after SummerSlam, apparently. And during the match as well, The Undertaker and Mankind were fighting in the crowd after they were eliminated from the battle royal and so on. So, yeah, it's it's still not great, is it, on the other channel? No. <laughs> No, definitely not, mate. <laughs> definitely not, indeed. Uh, a little bit of clarity for everyone listening. We have had a few little minor technical issues. So if at any stage my audio or Danny's audio seems a little bit off compared to what we normally put out, uh, that will be why it's still working absolutely fine. There's just a slight change in sound quality. So just so everyone's aware that that's you know being worked on as we speak. Danny, that was Monday night. Yeah. A couple of days before, there was a show on a Saturday night. Do you want to run Indeed, through what happened there? Indeed, there was, mate. And we uh, have the results here from Saturday night, uh, August the 3rd, 1996. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Saturday. Amazingly, uh, the Giant had two matches. Um, he had, but, yeah. Um, yeah, which is rare for him, <laughs> but we'll get into them. Um, so he had a dark match to open the show um, with uh, he f- defeated Bill Payne. I don't know if you remember Bill Payne, Si. Does not ring a bell at all. No, a lot of these are going to be uh, weird names. Um, Harlem Heat defeated um, Dick Slater and Mike Enos to retain the WSW World Tag Team Championships. Oh, tough and tumble and bubble and squeak <laughs> or ready to rumble or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ric Flair defeated Chavo Guerrero Jr. Um, to retain the US Championship. So we had two championship matches on this um, edition of um, okay. Saturday Night. We also had um, Ice Train defeating The Gambler. Now, The Gambler, oh, I, I recognize, I think I saw a little video of him from years ago. But do you remember The Gambler? That does not ring a bell either. The Gambler. Hmm. It, it's, it's a gimmick that screams early 1991 along with Vinny Vegas I I think I saw I, I just recall just from the top of my head I think he's a uh, Las Vegas gimmick type um where he's like a he's just well obviously it says in an end the gambler he's just gambling away but um he was just a, a, a complete jobber 
Yeah, I'm looking him up as you're talking. Uh, real name was Jeffrey Gann. He yeah. wrestled as the Gambler or Jeff Gamble. Um, he was trained by the WCW Power Plant, made his debut in 1990 and retired by, well, August time, 99. So didn't exactly have a long, massive career. But yeah, okay, fair no. play to the guy. He's wrestling and yeah. I never have. So good luck to him. Yeah, and uh, we had a match that could be, actually sounds really interesting, is Alex Wright defeating Brad Armstrong. Okay. A big fan of Brad Armstrong. He always tends to yeah. put on some, it, no charisma whatsoever, but he always tends to put on a good match. Every time I've seen him in stuff, I think, yeah, okay, he, I want to see more of that guy. And he's not the only Armstrong on this. Um, Steve Armstrong lost to Dean Malenko uh, for the Cruiserweight Championship. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hang on, Dean Malenko, had... Dean Malenko's not the champion though, is he? Uh, it says it here it is on this. Oh no, he's not actually. <laughs> I don't know when this. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a bit. Yeah, that's a weird one. It literally says it right there on the. Uh... Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe maybe it was filmed weeks ago because that's what they used to do, isn't it? It could be. Yeah, because the arena was. Uh, you see it in the nitro, but yeah, it could be filmed weeks ago. Yeah, and then that makes sense. we had we had uh, the giant defeating Brian Nobbs. Uh, to retain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Now, I don't know if these results were a bit dodgy. I can't see Brian Nobbs being in a World Championship match on Saturday night. I don't know. I'm so over the Nasty Boys, mate. <laughs> I'm so over the Nasty Boys, honestly. It's, yeah. it, it's 1996. And I don't know, they go on for years more, but they just seem so dated in everything they do now. I mean, they felt dated in like you know their last WWF run, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was the uh, main event of the uh, of um, Saturday night. But yep, that's a, a bit of a mixed bag, really, wasn't it? It is a bit of a weird one. I mean, I, I tend to find that the Saturday night shows, and even with the WWF sort of weekend programming, like Velocity and Heat and all that sort of stuff, you do get quite a mixed bag because you get guys who are, I suppose, gaining experience before they move up the card. You get other guys who are on their way back down. You get new pe- new people they're trying out. People trying out new gimmicks. You do tend to find the real odd combinations of of who's wrestling who and you know and, and and what the stipulations or the titles may be, Danny. I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only link I could find about Brian Nobbs uh, wrestling a giant is because um, basically Brian Nobbs is a friend of Hulk Hogan and um, maybe the giant just wants to beat them all up but we'll get into that in the uh, episode we're going to be reviewing of Nitro we will indeed we will indeed and speaking of getting into that Nitro Tony uh, I'll do that again Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko open the show and they give us a recap of last week's pretty dramatic extended attack backstage And we're told that the wrestlers are going to handle their own security. So we have, shall we say, the bigger boys, the big meaty guys, um, come out to the ring as they're talking here, Larry and and Tony. We have Big Bubba, we have Meng, we have Scott Norton, we have the Barbarian. And they all surround the ring. And they basically, some of them stand, some of them get a chair. And they're there for the whole show, mind. They're there for the whole two-hour TV show. Sat there just staring out into the crowd protecting the ring from the outsiders, I guess, Danny. 
Yeah, certainly they are. And uh, later on, we find out that there's more backstage as well. Um, they And we learned that they voluntarily took this because they're not going to be wrestling tonight. So they thought, well, rather than sitting in catering, we could actually be on television. So I thought that was pretty cool. I don't think I'd have bothered. I'd have, I'd have probably sat in catering, maybe had a sandwich, <laughs> gone for a walk around Disney, you know, and Good then probably both, <laughs> probably try and find a bar somewhere, to be fair. But there we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not even watching the wrestling. I mean, at one point, no. it cuts to Scott Norton, and he's on the outside of the ring, level with one of the ring posts. He's on the corner. Yep. And he's sat at a chair, just staring down yep. the, almost down the aisle way, I guess, the entrance way. Or, or at least where there's a gap, anyway, between the two stands where the people are sitting. So he's literally just staring into what is effectively a car, a car park or a driveway for <laughs> two hours. Wow. It's inside. I've done security work, and I've also done uh, working for a, a national car park company as a car park attendant. And I've done that, sit there for hours, just staring out onto the concrete. It is not fun. No. But there we go. Uh, what opens up this episode of Nitro is a tag team contest. We're told it is for the WCW World Tag Team Titles. And we have our champions, Harlem Heat, uh, defending their titles. They're accompanied by sensational Sherry Martel and Colonel Robert Parker. And they are taking on the Rock and Roll Express in 1996. And it's another example of how here in the first sort of weeks and months of the NWO era, it's not all cool and groundbreaking and brand new and fresh. Like people would have us believe you do have the nasty boys hanging around. You do have the rocker. I, mean, I love the rocker all express. Don't get me wrong. One of the greatest tag teams to ever do it. Absolutely superb. But in 96, they look dated. Yeah. They look old. You know, absolute legends of the game, of course. But here they look dated, they look old. And they're in the ring of Harlem Heat, who are massive, ripped dudes who look 1996. So the yeah. Rock and Roll look even more dated, I think. I mean, what were your thoughts when you, you heard the Rock and Roll Express were going to be wrestling here, opening this Nitro, Danny? Um, not surprised, because uh, last week we had um, Greg to have a Valentine in the main event. <laughs> But uh, and we had Hacksaw Jim Duggan go quite the distance as well. So I was thinking, oh, OK, so we have these other wrestlers who are doing security work. Couldn't they find someone else? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, it, the Harlem Heat are going into a pay-per-view title defense. So you want to make you want to make them look strong. Yeah, they could have quite easily have beaten Scott Norton and a partner. They could have beaten the faces of fear, potentially, or anything like that. And because they're the champions, it wouldn't have hurt the team that they're defeating. So I don't really know why we had to roll out the Rock and Roll Express here, to be fair. Yeah, I would have voted Public Enemy. Well, you'd have probably been on your own. Uh, the, <laughs> the match begins with a shit ton of stalling. And I mean a lot of stalling. There's just stalling after stalling after stalling. And they stall for so long before they've even locked up properly, we go to an ad break. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. That advert break came in at nine minutes and I was just thinking, did they really do that for that long? But yeah, you're right. I mean, there was a lot of mugging to the camera from uh, Booker T. Um, yeah, it's just very, very slow. Mm, yes, definitely. 
Oh dear. Uh, Harlem Heat are in control of Ricky Morton for probably the majority of this contest, which is kind of the way these things go. The yeah. Rock and Roll Express had, I wouldn't say a definitely set formula because you go back and watch their stuff in the eighties and that, and they are a very entertaining team to watch. But Ricky Morton is one of the best sellers in the business. He is getting sympathy from the crowd. He is superb at it. And you tended to find that they were always the baby face team. And whether they were facing the Midnights or the Horsemen or whatever, it would be Ricky Morton who would be getting his ass whipped for the majority of the contest before making the hot tag to Gibson. He would then come in, Morton would recover, and then they would sort of clean house with some of their more spectacular moves and so on. Uh, and that's effectively what we get here, Danny, up to the finish, isn't it? It really is, mate. And it, it's just like, we we getting like there's a lot of kicks thrown from Harlem Heat I noticed as well, mm. and a lot of great selling as you said about um, with Ricky Morton, and then uh, when Robert Gibson comes in and does the hot tag, is things do start to pick up, but then the finish for me, it just kind of ruined this match for me. Yeah, it is an odd one, isn't it? Because we get more. More Sherry and Robert Parker nonsense. And this seems to have been going on for a very, very long time now. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're talking way back when Medusa debuted. Mm. This was going on then, because I remember it being on, you know, on the same show. So it, this is going back quite a way. And I don't really see what the game plan is. I don't quite understand how... I don't quite understand how we're going to make money from this pairing of Martel, Sherry Martel and Colonel Robert Parker. If it goes to them having a match, that's going to be sodding awful. That's let's call it what it is. If it goes to them managing two different tag teams and those teams wrestling each other, I and mean, we've kind of seen that already, I think, but ultimately is that gonna benefit Harlem Heat, who are the tag champs already? Harlem Heat with Sherry, I think, works. I think she is such a fantastic performer in any role you give her. I think Sherry Martel is, is one of the greatest to ever do it, do it in that particular, that particular role in a wrestling company. And she works fantastically well with Harlem Heat. Yeah. Colonel Robert Parker, I just don't understand. Again, it comes back to being very dated, yeah. very 80s wrestling, very 80s gimmicky, and... I think, if anything, it hinders Harlem Heat here. Yeah, well said, mate. I mean, it just it feels like hopefully they're fading him out. Um, but then again, just when you thought he's gone, up he pops it back again here in this match. And especially, he had a lot to do with the finish. And it was like, like you said, I mean, where are they going with this? Mm. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the finish itself, we get the hot, hot tag to Robert Gibson. Uh, the rock and roll hit their double drop kick, which was used as their finisher for quite a while. Um, the cover is made. In theory, then, the Rock and Roll Express have won the world titles there. But the referee is distracted trying to get Ricky Morton out the ring. Um, again, it's quite weak. It's quite, you yeah. know, it's not. I understand he's uh, he's sticking to the rules. The referee, he can't. You're not supposed to make the count on a pinfall attempt if the illegal man is in the ring at the same time. I, but I understand all of that. But this isn't a company that has massively enforced 
that particular rule in tag team wrestling. So enforcing it here just seems like a bit of a misstep for me. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely a miss. Mm. Um, Sherry gets into the ring and tries to kiss Gibson. He pushes her away. Parker then jumps on the apron because you know his girl has been has been pushed away, and starts swinging punches like a wild man, but hitting nobody in particular and looking like an absolute idiot. Before mm-hmm. Robert Gibson hits Colonel Parker, turns round, takes a big boot to the face, and gets pinned. Yeah. And that's that's kind of it. Now, I love the Rock All Express, as I've said. Even if I don't necessarily believe they belong here in in Nitro in '96, taking on the Harlem Heat, it's just not believable for me. I mean, these guys already look old, and both the guys in Harlem Heat look a, roughly a foot taller than them for crying out loud. It's just not particularly believable. Again, it just comes back to me for, for why is Parker there? Does this benefit the tag team champions? Does Harlem Heat wrestling the Rock and Roll Express here benefit them? Because they've beaten the Rock and Roll Express by having a bit of distraction and outside interference, and the Rock and Roll, in theory, had the match won at one point. So that doesn't do, do you know great shakes in making Harlem Heat look strong. You've then got the whole nonsense with Sherry trying to kiss opponents, and then Colonel Parker getting involved was just completely unnecessary. It just doesn't do Harlem Heat any favours whatsoever, I think. No, you're you're dead on, mate. Um, but with speaking of Sherry, that bump she took out to outside of the ring, right to the floor, that did look painful. Mm. Yes, it did. It did not look like a comfy landing. But I mean, she's a she's a tough one. Well, was a tough lass, wasn't she? So yeah. So some of the bumps she used to take for Hogan when he used to you know knock her about the place in the eighties, it was oh, yeah. pretty spectacular as well. So. Oh. But there we go. Uh, what follows is an interview with the Nasty Boys from Mean Gene Oakland. So we've gone from the rock and roll, Colonel Robert Parker, and then we're talking to the Nasty Boys. And I'm thinking, is this 1987? What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, this this interview confused the hell out of me. So I'll, I'll tell you, I had to watch it twice. And I was just thinking, what did they say? <laughs> you had to watch it twice. But yeah, you're a brave man. I didn't want to watch it once. <laughs> Oh dear! We, I mean, the nasty boys. Are, uh, I don't really know what's going on. I mean, first of all, Mean Gene uh, introduces this as you know we're talking to the nasty boys. They're going to be facing Sting and Luger in our main event tonight. The nasty boys are in the main event tonight, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <sighs> and then we had Greg Valentine last week. <laughs> oh my god! And then, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's bad enough for me for yeah. Mean Gene making that announcement. But that's out of his hands. He's not booking. The, he's not booking the territory. He's not booking the show. He's not deciding that the Nasty Boys are in the main event. What he does decide to do, though, is is describe the Nasty Boys wrestling Sting and Luger as a crucial and important tag match. Gene, I think you're a liar. <laughs> There's nothing crucial or important about the Nasty Boys facing Sting and Luger whatsoever. Absolutely not. No, no, no way. <laughs> Gene then starts asking questions about whether they're joining the NWO, doesn't he? Yeah, I found that very weird. It was just like, like the NWO is having so much momentum right now. What way? What a better way to kill it than to have the Nasty Boys um, tease aligning with them? I mean, oh, that that would be scary. Mm. 
Luger and Sting come out and start pointing fingers and everyone does a little bit of good old-fashioned 90s wrestling shiting. And uh, they're asking if the Nasty Boys are joining the NWO because they're not making it clear. Whenever they're asked, whenever they're, whenever Mean Gene gives them a question, they avoid it, apparently. Um, and to me, whenever Mean Gene asks them, are you joining the NWO or are you WCW? They always come back and say, we're just the nasty boys. We've got no allegiances with the WCW. We've got no allegiances with the NWO. We are the nasty boys. So I think that makes it quite clear where they stand. Yeah. But for some reason, Luger and Sting just can't understand what they're trying to say. They just can't get it in their heads. So they're like, so what are you saying? Are you saying you're NWO? And Brian Nobbs and Joe Sags are like, well, lads, no, listen. <laughs> we're sta- we're sta- and the term they use is, we're standing right here on our own in Nastyville. Yeah. To which point Sting and Luger are like, but does that mean you're WCW or not? <laughs> and then the Nasty Boys are like, again, lads, one sec, hold on. Listen to me now. This is what we're doing. <laughs> and then Luger and Sting carry on pointing fingers and go, well, we'll see, and walk out. And it's like, I, I think the Nasties have been a little bit hard done by there. I think they made it quite clear to Sting and Luger what they were doing. I, I just was confused by the whole thing because I thought, oh, they're just going to say they're joining the NWO to um, build some sort of... Um, anger for their main event later on but the fact that Sting and Lex Luger left the interview I feel to me it just made them look a bit weak um, because it's like okay we, we didn't get our answer so we'll just walk on back and we'll wait for our match later on um, and I think that if this didn't happen if this happened and then the, the main event was announced it would have made a bit more sense yeah okay I get you yeah. I get you. Yeah. I, I think I mean, I'll, I'll be transparent with everyone now. I'll be very clear with everyone right now. Sting and Luger throughout this whole episode of Nitro, I yeah. think you've got to laugh at everything they do because they are acting so weird and silly. It's either absolute shite or it's comedy genius. Yeah. Even, whichever way it lands. Because we've got Luger and Sting here arguing back and forth with the Nasty Boys over a question they've already answered 10 times. Right? <laughs> And then Luger and Sting, you said there about they, they they popped up, had a bit of a pointy-fingered rant at the Nasties, and then they just sort of go, oh, well, we'll see, and skulk off. That's yeah. kind of a running theme throughout the show. Luger and Sting just keep turning up somewhere, doing something, and then just going, ta-da then, and walking off again. And it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like booking Luger and Sting in the main event means that... Uh, you ever like been around uh, you know kids danny like my own children were, were like it and you know my nieces and nephews and you probably got family members as well yeah. who if you say to that child uh at at midday if you say to them at three o'clock in the afternoon we're going to the zoo for the next two and a half hours they're unbearable because they're excited but they're also bored and they can't wait to get to the zoo you know, yeah. so they keep turning up and being a nuisance and so on. <laughs> That's what Sting and Luger are like here. They've been told you're in the main event tonight. But that means, so they're excited about this, but that means that Sting and Luger then, they're like the naughty kid who can't wait to get to the zoo. <laughs> They've got two hours to fill before they're in their main event match. So they're just walking around, seeing what they can get up to, turning up at different moments and all that. But you just want to say to them, just go read a book in the corner or something, lads. Just, <laughs> we'll give you a shite when it's time for your match. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's a perfect description, mate. It's like, yeah, very, very relatable. Uh, but we will come back to Sting and Luger shortly because it's, we get some very, very, very important news for a promo that follows this this particular segment. Um, Glacier, but that's it. Glacier's not coming. <laughs> Glacier's not arriving. Just Glacier. Here he is again. Doesn't he look cool spinning his feet around in the air, doing his martial arts and so on? No more yes, information. We're told nothing else. It's just, I, I don't know what to think anymore. No, um, the, the worst thing about this, we're now in another, a new month. We're now in the month of August 1996. And I'm just, I think me and you should make a bet, Si. What, what uh, month does he debut? And what month does his vignettes at least change a little bit? Uh, it's, I just don't get it. <laughs> I, I understand building building up hype and building up excitement, of course. So we've covered this on the show already, haven't we? But yeah, I understand building up excitement, building up hype, uh, and all that sort of stuff. But it's got. To, I mean, I know I've seen Glacier, I've seen the debut, I've seen a lot of his matches, and so on. So I, I know the crack. I know what's going to happen. I'm st- I'm still getting fairly excited watching these early vignettes. Yeah, but now I'm at a point where I just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I don't care if he arrives or not because it's been it's been overdone now. Mm. It's 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 almost like it's like if you wake up every morning and say, "Oh, three hundred and twenty days till Christmas." Oh, <laughs> three hundred nineteen days till Christmas. You know, following morning, you're, yeah. making, you're downstairs making your breakfast. Hey, wife, guess what? Three hundred eighteen days till Christmas. By the time you hit two hundred fifty, two hundred forty, you know you, your significant other is going to want to throttle you, and that's yeah. kind of the way I'm feeling with Glacier now. It's like, okay, we know this guy is on his way, but it's been so long, I'm kind of over it. And he hasn't even debuted. Uh, no, I completely agree. I think this um, this is a lesson for WWE to learn that just don't... If you're going to have a wrestler debut... I mean, this has been months and months and months. It's like, mm. when are you going to debut? <laughs> now, also, think of the pressure they're putting on that debut. Oh, Yeah. Because this has been built up and built up and built up and built up. And all these promos, I mean, they're running at least two promos per episode of Nitro. So whether you watch just the first hour or the second hour, you're seeing at least one promo. Yeah. And not forget um, Saturday night. Yes, of course, Danny. Yes, of course. Um, Never forgetting Saturday night, my friend. I (laughs) apologise. And... uh, you know, there's been a lot of money spent on these vignettes, a lot of money spent on his gear. And when Glacier does finally arrive, we'll discuss that further, Danny, with regards to his entrance, his mo- and the money that was spent on the character and so on. I'll, I'll, I'll explain all of that when we get there. But all of that has happened, and this guy's getting built up and built up and built up. If he arrives now and shits the bed, or even not even, not even if he's terrible, if he arrives now and he's just bang average in his first match, Hmm. That that whole gimmick is just going to crash and burn. And again, I'm talking from a standpoint of knowing kind of what goes on, and many of our listeners will know what goes on. But I'm sort of talking to you from the aspect of you're not fully aware of what goes on. So yeah. that, that's kind of the, the sort of you know context to this conversation between you and I, because a lot of this WCW stuff you're seeing for the first time, and yeah. I just think that you're kind of saddling the guy with extra pressure that you don't need to apply. Yeah. And mainly a lot of it is to just to fill time. 
because you could easily have put a um, WCW magazine promo in place of one of the vignettes. If you want to keep him in fans' minds, um, just have one. Yeah, I mean, I can see why they run two, because you've got the, the two hours, haven't you? So, I mean, Raw at this Wait. point is still only an hour long, I believe. Yeah. So you're going to yeah. get wrestling fans who are either... I don't know the exact timings of Raw, whether Nitro ran for an hour before or an hour afterwards, but one way or another, you're going to get fans either turning Nitro off when Raw starts, or you're going to get fans turning over from Raw to Nitro when Raw... Depending on the time schedule on the two separate channels. So I can understand running two promos from that aspect, because then you're going to get the the, the eyes of the, the viewer... You know, whether they only watch one hour, sorry, whether they watch hour one, hour two, or both, you're going to get a, a vignette, a promo package featuring Glacier on their TV. Yeah. However, I think it's just the duration of how long this has took has kind of done the guy absolutely no favours at all. Yeah, well said, mate. Mm. But there we go. Uh, up next, Danny, we have a big rarity. I mean, not like a Glacier promo, which is anything but bloody rare. But we do have a bit of a rarity on Nitro. We have a ladies' contest. Yeah. Don't see many of those, do we? No, we do not. Um, I was just trying to think back. When was the last time? It was good old, at least over a month, since we saw uh, Medusa wrestle. Well, she wrestled a short match on Nitro a week or two ago, didn't she, when she was under... Her opponent was under the ropes on the finish yes. do you remember and yes and there was no entrances that's right yes yeah. but that aside and obviously they're doing this now because medusa has a match at the pay-per-view so they've got to get her on television because of that and she's facing bull meccano at the uh, hogwild pay-per-view which is a rekindling of the matches that they had in the wwf in the mid-90s for the wwf women's title when, when medusa was a lender blaze and bull meccano is bloody fantastic She's at this point, she's potentially one of the best women's wrestlers around. She, she is superb. So it's a great get for WCW. So they've got to feature Medusa. And yes. they've got the added stipulation of Medusa rides a Harley Davidson, which is true. She's a big biker and has been for many decades. And Bull Meccano has what they refer to here on commentary as a big Japanese machine. And um, <laughs> the, the winner of the match gets to smash up the other person's motorbike at the rally. So, as silly as that stipulation may sound, yeah, I think you've got to put yourself in the bubble of August 96 and being at a yeah. motorbike rally. You're going to have two mm. ladies who are bikers, two ladies fighting, and the loser gets their bike destroyed. One of them literally comes to the ring, decked out in the American flag. The other is a lady yeah. from Japan. That was, I think, that's a really clever little, you know, regardless of the the potential racial undertones or um, whatever, yeah. the silly motorbike stipulation and so on. With regards to that little bubble of it being August '96 and they're going to Sturgis, and they're going to be surrounded by bikers, biker gangs, and so on. You can do the whole USA USA patriotic kind of thing. Motorbikes are involved, and so on. I think it's quite a clever little ploy to get that on the pay-per-view. It really is, mate. And what, when I heard that um, announcement, it uh, just brought me back to, um, did you ever play WWE Crash Hour on the PlayStation 2? 
I did not know. Oh, so on crush hour, I believe that is one of the stipulations. If it's basically a car, a wrestling car game where you're you can pick someone like The Rock versus uh, Brock Lesnar, and you have to bash each other like bumper cars type of thing, until your person loses, and then whoever um, the, the, your opponent loses, and whoever loses gets their car smashed up at the end. That's what okay. this me of. So maybe they got that from uh, WCW. Well, there you go. I eh? who'd have thought it. Ball Meccano influencing a PlayStation 2 game. There we go. <laughs> uh, Medusa here is facing uh, Malaya Hosaka. Apologies if I've butchered that pronunciation there, but I think that's pretty yeah, accurate. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And she is with Sunny Ono, which of course she is because she's Japanese. So <laughs> naturally, Sunny Ono has to accompany her to the ring because it seems that's the only reason the guy's employed. And... I thought this was pretty bloody good, Danny. It really was, mate. And just before the match started, I think Medusa's theme is one of my favourites now. I mean, that was re- a really cool theme song. Did you enjoy it? Yes. I've actually got a note about that myself. Medusa's entrance yeah. theme on Nitro is, is bloody fantastic. Yeah. It's one I'll have to get on YouTube and uh, listen to after we've done recording. But yeah, this match um, was really... it. it to me, it ticked a lot of boxes. Um, there was just one thing that um, made it just would I, I would put this as not a ten because we had uh, number six side. You know what of? Oh, the limo arrives. Yes, Scottish Daddy's limo count number six. Um, <laughs> I just felt that could have been done after the match because we don't get a lot of women's matches on these nitros. And the rare one we do, we're, we're basically just distracted from it. But well, who's in the limo? Um, so I think other than that, this match was pretty good. No, I get you. I get you. I've got no issue with the limo arriving during a match. Yeah. Because, again, it's that thing of you've got people hopping from channel to channel at this stage in 96. And it's going to get more so in the next 12 to 18 months to whatever. So if you get the, if you sort of send out the imagery or, or the, the feeling that anything can happen at any time, if you have a shit match start on your television program, but you've kind of embedded in your viewers mindset that, okay, I'm not massively interested in, I don't know, Jim Duggan versus the Disco Inferno, but I can't turn it over in case the insiders arrive halfway through. You're hooking the viewer in even though what you're putting on television may not be to their taste. So yeah. the, the limo arriving part of the way through a match, I've got no issues with whatsoever, because it comes back to that adage of this is live TV, anything can happen at any time. The WWE can be quite, uh, I suppose, sticking to a formula, especially more so in recent times, when you end a match, you go to the next segment, that's when you see a limo arrive, then the next segment, match restarts, and so on. Yeah. Here, by having the limo arrive during a match, I think they kind of break the mold a little bit with that. And it is that whole feeling of this is live. We don't know what's going to happen next. You've got to stay with us. Yeah. However, you could have quite easily done this in the opener. You yeah. could have quite easily have done this in one of the later matches. Putting it in the middle of the ladies match, I agree with you. We don't get many ladies contests on Nitro. It didn't have to be this particular match for it to happen in. Yeah. Do you know what? So I will say, 
this finish um, in particular, I don't want to skip too far, but the finish was what made it for me. Okay, interesting. Well, I'll have a quick run through the match and then we'll get to yeah. the finish and you can talk us through why you enjoyed that, Danny. Okay. Uh, the beginning I loved because uh, Hosaka's going for the standard tie-up, whereas Medusa's putting her arm in the air saying, oh, let's go for a test of strength instead. So they're both kind of stood off each other slightly, sort of deciding which way they're going to start the contest before Medusa drops to the deck and hits this brilliant spinning leg sweep and sends her opponent on her ass straight away. And I thought that was fantastic, because yeah. even I didn't expect that. No. Um, her soccer uses a lot, of, a lot of kicks to the torso of Medusa before she starts working the leg. We see a spinning toe hold as well as various other leg grapevine uh, submission moves eventually we go into the figure four um, on medusa which is when the limo arrives when we come back from the shot of the limo arriving there's a lot of pin attempts um which i again i'm a big fan of this you're trying to win a sporting contest remember if your opponent is on the deck try and get the pinfall makes perfect sense medusa hits a suplex off the ropes um and then that's kind of where we get into the finish then danny isn't it yeah so straight away any time that Sunny Arno gets um, any uh, any attack or anything like that, I really enjoy because I really don't like that man. Um, so Medusa drop kicks him, and then she just kind of lies down and gets pinned. But you, so I thought that's what happened until I went back and watched it, and then you see that Sunny Arno actually held Medusa's legs under the ropes, and I was thinking, oh, that's actually very, it's very unique because we haven't seen it a lot on this um naturally watch and because i i just remember thinking oh that was a horrible finish he just laid down but the fact that we uh saw sonny Arno just get his revenge by grabbing her leg medusa's legs and then getting the pin um hosaka got the pin and it was like wow that's pretty entertaining but what do you feel about um someone like medusa losing in a match just uh, six day, uh, five days before the pay-per-view so oh, do you know what i was going to ask you this question oh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's I can, I can see benefits to it whereas i can also see issues with it as well um i mean we we go away from this segment with ono shouting in the camera laughing about his uh, his client's win and saying Bull Nakano is going to kill Medusa in Sturgis. Yeah. So from one aspect, it means Medusa is going in now established effectively as the underdog. She's lost her last match. She's going to be facing a better opponent than the one she's just lost to. Mm. But the decision that's caused her to lose this contest is obviously far from clean. There was a lot, there was cheating involved. So you can argue there that Medusa still doesn't look weak because of that. But it's tricky. I, I think, I mean, if Medusa had won here, then she got, she looks strong going into her contest on the pay per view, which is yeah. kind of what you always want to do. I think in most scenarios, you want all competitors going in and looking their strongest to make people want to buy the pay-per-view. Oh, this guy's on a winning streak. This guy's on a winning streak. This lady's won her last three matches, whereas this lady's won their last five and they're facing off, whatever. Yeah. So you, you, oh, I must buy the pay-per-view because all people involved are on a roll and they're facing off and who's going to win this, who's going to win. You know, it's basically telling a story without having to dive too deeply into an actual story, I guess. Yeah. So I, I could see pros and cons to winning or losing going into the pay-per-view. 
personally, I was quite surprised when Medusa lost this match. Mm. I thought she was going to go over because of the pay-per-view on the weekend. Yeah. But the way they've done it, I suppose it does kind of have that feeling of, okay, now Medusa is maybe more of the underdog going in. So she's got to vanquish the big foreign villain and all this sort of stuff, which is an old adage in wrestling goes back decades. So, yeah. And also, I suppose Medusa's the established name. Yeah. Nobody really knows who Hasaka is. Only slightly smarter fans will be aware of Bull Nakano before the pay-per-view. So by having Medusa lose here, it makes Hasaka look good. It then makes you think, okay, well, she's lost here. How good is this Nakano going to be if you don't already know her? Again, there's so many different ways that you could look at it and whether there's pros and cons and so on. Um, but, I mean, to me, it is what it is. I think it's just a good thing that we're getting you know, women's wrestling on Nitro and on the pay-per-view, day. Yeah, absolutely. And will she be crushed by that big Japanese machine, the, the motorbike? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about Medusa losing here, then? What were your thoughts? I kind of was very similar to you. It's like, will, I mean, it doesn't, I don't believe in this big thing WWE always makes of, no, they have to build momentum. They have to build momentum because it's not a, like a real fight or anything like that. So I'm just like, okay, so she's lost here, but it's almost like you can't telegraph what's going to happen at the pay-per-view because she's lost here. Um, I don't know if this is her first loss. I can't remember um, if she lost that quick match. Um, I know she won that quick match last week, but I know she had a, a match with Sherry Martel not too long ago. And it mm. was it was just that she hasn't had the best outing um, as a character. So, But uh, as you said earlier about her showing up to um, Sturgis, I know she's going to get a massive pop because obviously she represented the US and yeah so we shall see on the pay-per-view how she does yes we will we will indeed it's, it's going to be really interesting actually covering that pay-per-view with you I'm, I'm assuming and i could be completely wrong of course but i'm assuming you've never seen hogwild 96 before no only the main event from a, a bunch of Dove's w dvds but not okay. uh, anything else it's it's a really interesting crowd because, I mean, they're already talking about there being 250,000 people there. They're not there for WCW. They're there because it's a bike rally, and it's the biggest bike rally in the world. And people travel from all over the place to go. It's like a very big a big deal in the biking community. The wrestling is like a side thing for them, being there. Uh-huh. So you may have some wrestling fans there, but the main percentage or main number of people in that place at the time of the pay-per-view aren't there for the wrestling but i mean we'll get into it more in the pay-per-view but you'll see that there's a lot of people sat around on bikes watching the show there's a lot of engines revving all the way through a great deal of the show is in the daytime as well it's it's lit almost like the start of an episode of nitro at disney um and the crowd they don't always react how I would imagine the WCW hierarchy would like them to, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the likes of Harlem Heat and so on because of, well, shall we say there's certain uh, racial issues with certain competitors. So that's going to make for an interesting discussion when we get to the pay-per-view yeah. next week on Nitro Nights, Danny. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, after this contest, we get a recap of what happened between Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit from three weeks ago, 
with Dimalenko running down, getting involved, and so on. And then we have our disco dancing German buddy, Alex Wright, come into the ring to take on Chris Benoit himself. Um, no more vignettes of Alex Wright and his three buddies oiling themselves up on the beach so far, which I'm quite happy about. Yeah, I, I was I was fearing it. Um, <laughs> it. Hopefully they've dropped that. It's been a couple of weeks now. I hope they've dropped it. Yeah, I mean, we've not seen the Renegade since. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's been involved on Saturday night. I mean, your recaps yes. basically say that, you know, he hasn't massively been involved. No, he has. He had one match this past week, but okay. um, as usual, he would, he would lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've not seen anything on Nitro or any build-up to anything that would even remotely bring your attention towards Joe Gomez. And I can't even remember the other guy's name. So, Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> No, Joe Gomez and Renegade, that was the tag team. Oh, Jim Powers. Jim Powers, there you go, yeah. yes. Yeah, maybe that project has been shelved, and hopefully <laughs> you know, hopefully so. Um, <laughs> Benoit here at the start of this match is vicious. The punches, the chops, the kicks. This guy is so intense. He is. I mean, it, both. I found both of them were very aggressive, but especially with Chris Benoit, with those chops and the kicks and the drop kicks he was doing, um, and also the sounds he was making as well. Um, he has stepped it up on this night, I think, especially. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Alex Wright fights back and sends Benoit to the floor with a drop kick. And then I just realised, you know, when they get back in the ring and they carry on fighting a little more, I realised the pace of this contest isn't slowing down. Both of these guys are going 100 mile an hour and neither of them look like you know, lagging or stopping or slowing down at all, Danny, do they? No, they definitely don't, mate. And there's one point in this match where Chris Benoit locks in a um, abdominal stretch, if I can say that properly, <laughs> uh, and turns it into an arm drag takedown. And I was just like, wow, I've never seen so that good. before. Yeah, and it, Chris Benoit did not look awkward doing it because he's much shorter than um, Alex Wright, but he he pulled off very, very well. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, we also see Alex Wright do a couple of what the commentators describe as head scissor drop kicks, and he's jumping from effectively a standing start into a drop kick position in midair. But rather than hitting the drop kick, he's cupping his ankles either side of Benoit's head. Not not his whole legs for a head scissors, but just yeah. his ankles, either side of Benoit's head, and then flipping the guy over. And I don't I, I don't really think I've seen that many times before or since. No. No. I mean Alex Wright gets um a lot of credit and well deserved for um not inventing moves but inventing moves, but definitely um uh, using like a lot of rare moves that you would see in uh, European wrestling and things like that. So uh, mm. that is, that's a very great shout. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this contest, but then it gets kind of, I suppose, trashed at the end in a way because Jimmy Hart turns up and he's talking to a woman on the outside who has accompanied Benoit, obviously, with the horseman allegiances there. And woman is talking about Kevin Sullivan, pointing at the picture of Sullivan on his tie, saying you're you know, causing someone to be very upset backstage and so on. Uh, he says, I don't know why you're associating with Benoit. He's not going to win you a title. I don't know why you're hanging around with her, pointing at Miss Elizabeth. And he calls Liz a human mannequin, which tickled me because, it has, as mean as that may sound, he's not far wrong. 
<laughs> it's certainly not, no. Uh, but I, I found it very ironic that he said that Christopher was not going to win you a world cha- uh, a title, but what's Kevin Sullivan going to do instead? <laughs> he could lend her a lovely dressing gown. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Dimalenko then arrives and he and Benoit brawl to the back, uh, again, building towards their pay-per-view contest on the weekend. So I didn't mind that at all. It's a shame the match got thrown out. It was a shame the match went to a non-finish. But I am very much looking forward to Benoit versus Malenko at the pay-per-view, Danny. Yeah, me too, mate. And just going back to the Jimmy Hart um, woman, little uh, piece of business that they had there, I love it because um, hardcore fans like me and you would know what that what he's talking about with the Chris Benoit, um, Kevin Sullivan issue. And we're seeing a little bit more personality from women over the last couple of weeks, aren't we? Yes, indeed. Indeed. I, I think, you know, this whole Benoit, Sullivan and woman kind of triangle which obviously you know bleeds into real life and so on as well is very interesting and you're right because the fans who may know a little bit about what's going on behind the curtain will get a certain different level of understanding from this but even if you don't know even if you're just a casual fan watching the fact that you don't know to me leaves it open-ended which makes you want to find out what's going on so yeah. on both levels, I think it kind of works. You've got the smarter fans and then the more casual fans, and there's something there from this for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, following this brawl with Malenko and Benoit, we have William Regal, or Stephen Regal, sorry, come into the ring, and he is taking on Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, I've not really got anything about this match whatsoever because, I mean... <sighs> effectively so much goes on around it what's happening in the ring i don't really recall very much i mean regal works the arm early on savage wrestles kind of heel-esque because he keeps choking regal and raking his eyes we then go to hour two we get our usual countdown little dynamite stick jobby in the corner and we're told with 10 seconds to go there's no bischoff or heenan yet nobody knows what's going on so Shivani and Zabisco are sat there going, well, I guess we're kind of going to have to stay here for now because we don't know where our, you know, our co-hosts who are going to take over from us are. And what were you thinking when this was going on, Danny? This, um, in terms of this match, you're very right. Um, there was, uh, Savage was working 100% a heel here. Um, he went for a choke and uh, raking off the eyes about three different times. <laughs> Um, including where the referee just at one point just gave up and went one, two, three, four, very, very quickly. Was that one, two, three, four? And then Savage just let go before he was disqualified. But yeah, the whole thing was, um, this whole thing was just to get Savage out there for this angle. Um, and we see Lex Luger and Sting kind of, um, they well, I loved when they arrived and sat down on the uh, chairs just before the finish of the match. And uh, you see that fan trying to get Lex Luger's attention. I don't know if you saw that, side. Yes, that's right. I mean, opposite the hard cam, same as last week, there are four empty seats, which uh, Tony Schiavone touched upon. And now we're saying they're, they're there again this week. Is this for the NWO? And we heard Ray say that there might have been a fourth guy during the attack last week, and there's four seats. Uh, Luger and Sting then sit in these seats in full gear. And again, it comes back to 
it's almost like they've got nothing better to do and they're just ambling around trying to trying to entertain themselves to a degree but they sit in these seats and it's the wrong way around for me because sting is in full gimmick he's wearing his bright colored tights uh he's obviously shirtless and he's got his face painted all up and all that but he is comfy as hell he doesn't yeah. care that he may sat in you know when you're sat on a chair in the crowd shirtless with your face painted i would have a little bit of you know self-conscious or self-awareness going on there sting don't give a shit he's happy as larry whereas luger luger is in his trunks and boots looks awkward as hell he really doesn't look happy that he sat out there in his gear almost like he wants to go chuck a pair of jeans on or something that tickled me a little bit yeah it did mate. and i just love the fact that we had four chairs out there two men go and sit down in them the size of lex luger and sting and they end up taking up three and a half chairs <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's right some uh, little kids scream uh from above sting who's sitting above sting so sting and sting just completely ignores him <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's quite funny um yeah. savage ultimately wins the match with the top rope elbow drop uh, I mean, what I saw of it, it was good, but there was so much going on with the commentary and Luger and Sting that you kind of get distracted quite a bit. Um, what happens after this match, though, is that Sting and Luger decide they're going to go check out the limo, which has arrived. So they head over in that direction. They open the limo, and there's nobody there, just a, a bouquet of flowers, which <laughs> which is a bit surreal. And it says on the flowers, there's a... Uh, there's a note there saying condolences on the death of WCW. And I thought this is so cheesy and so silly and so daft, but I still kind of liked it. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, Sting and Lex Luger kind of sold this comically, um, especially when you get into the ring. Um, it kind of, when it's all falling apart and the flowers are going everywhere, it was just like, yeah, it's very, very cheesy. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, Gene arrives in the ring talking to Savage and Sting and Luger bring the flowers up to the to the ring as well. And we find out that Savage gets the first title match to, you know, he faces off against whoever wins at the pay-per-view on the following Nitro. So we kind of know where we're heading in two weeks time with regards to Nitro Nights. And we then get a weird interaction between the three of them talking about the NWO and they're cowardly because they're not here. But then they've sent these flowers and then Sting starts saying, maybe they aren't that bad a group of guys. I quite like the flowers. And it's almost like he's going, he's talking in a way where he's then going to suddenly go, oh, I'm joking. Not really. But you don't actually get to that end bit of what he's trying to say. And it's just kind of left with Sting going, I quite like these flowers, actually. (laughs) Brilliant stuff. Um, uh, one complaint I had about this was um, Macho Man basically telling everybody that Hulk Hogan was going to win at the pay-per-view because he says Giant is going to take a big chunk out of you and then he's going to leave a little bit of left for me to take the world championship from you. Um, I was just like, oh, thanks. You've just given us the finish there, Macho Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody. It's so, it's just such nonsense. Yeah. Oh, dear. We then get a, a silly little bit where they're kicking the flowers, messing around, yeah. and then I think it's um, 
is it Sting that holds the flowers down in a certain position? Yeah. Like a three-point kick in the NFL, and Savage sends it flying for a, for a three-pointer, as Mean Gene says. You know, again, it's ridiculously silly, but also kind of funny at the same time. Yeah, and, and the flowers just went everywhere, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They did. And this is where the limo leaves, Danny. The limo's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking, imagine paying all that money just to uh, have flowers delivered in a limousine. <laughs> well, they touch upon this, don't they, a bit later on. Uh, yeah. And we'll get to it shortly, but the limo does return. And I think it's Tony Schiavone on commentary who actually mentions, well, somebody is, you know, obviously got quite a bit of cash to be funding this. Yeah. So that's another little touch towards who is paying for or who is the benefactor for the New World Order. I mean, we, we have we had the first of the vignettes, the famous black and white vignettes uh, the, the other week on the show. We have another one on this episode, which we're going to get to shortly. And they both say this, uh, the following announcement, you know, the famous line, the following announcement has been paid for by the NWO. So they're buying TV time. They're buying ad time on the show. This limo keeps turning up as well. So there's always little touches and hints to saying, well, okay, somebody must be bankrolling this. Yeah. So that is something to be thinking about in the future weeks. After the limo leaves, we get Ric Flair, who is announced as the United States champion, which makes him the number one contender for the world title, which is a very old-fashioned Jim Crockett Promotions kind of stipulation there. The the US champ was always the guy considered to be next in line for the world title. So that's an interesting touch that they're speaking about that, even though we know that Hogan is facing the champion and then Savage is next in line after that. So I'm not too sure how they're going to figure all of that out, Danny. No. And uh, there's so much going on, isn't there, with surrounding the world championship? <laughs> Yeah, which is great. You know, yeah. so many moving parts, so many different names and so on. Yeah, it's great. That's how it should be, really, rather than just having one guy chasing it, one guy holding it. You should always have backup plans in place as well, I guess. Um, yeah. Ric Flair is wrestling your favourite and mine, our old buddy, the Booty Man. Yeah, he really is. And he's doing it when he's coming out to the ring in a beautiful white robe that I've never seen him uh, enter the ring to. What did you think of this robe, though? Looks fantastic. Flair just looked absolutely super. I mean, it's the whole presentation because Booty Man comes to the ring and um, he's doing his stupid dancing. He's got his very 80s styled sort of feathered long hair, the tassels and so on. He looks, again, it comes back to being quite dated for 96, I think, when you look at what else is going on uh, in the company at this time. But he's accompanied by Kimberly who isn't wearing the best get-up she's ever worn. She's got weird shoulder pads added to her gear for some reason, which she doesn't need. But Kimberly's obviously a fantastic-looking lady. She's got a certain level of charisma to her. She's, she's very comfy in front of the camera. So, you know, she does well, whereas the booty man does not. But then you compare that to Flair. You get all the pyro. All the fireworks going off behind the WCW sign. The music is so, is, is so grand and huge and, you know, it makes it feel important. And then Flair is accompanied by Liz, Woman and Deborah. Whilst wearing that robe and the United States title, you know, and uh, just carries himself with his chin in the air like a real arrogant piece of crap that he is. It's just the whole presentation of this guy is a big deal. And if you didn't already know it, 
we're literally going to slap you across the face about it. Yeah. And then you add in his his backup just um, entering the ring. You see a great camera shot of a very angry-looking Arn Anderson. Obviously, what happened last week. And I just wrote down, Arn Anderson, it looks so badass, even when he's injured. Oh, 100%. Arn comes out, and he's wearing jeans and the Four Horsemen t-shirt. Um, and to be fair, I don't know what it is, because there's aspects of Arn that should not be cool. Arn Anderson has these massive glasses on that, that he wears when he's not wrestling. Obviously, huge glasses. The The lenses are massive, and they kind of got that weird, almost brown-ish tint to the glasses. Yeah. They're like the ones that you see pictures of your mum or your nan wearing in the 70s. They're incredibly <laughs> yeah. dated. He's, yeah. got, he's got his T-shirt tucked into his jeans, which, again, is such an old man dad move, you know? And he's got this balding hair and, and he looks, he's, I mean, he's always looked about 50. Even yeah. I think when he was born, he came out looking, you know, 50. And so there's so much there that you should look at and go, what the hell is with this guy? This guy is just an old man. But for some reason, because Arn, I'm guessing because Arn is just so believable and so good at what he does, he just manages to look so menacing. And then along with that, somehow weirdly cool with it yeah fantastically said mate as you that bang on about the glasses i mean we all have those photographs from the 70s and 80s of our parents and grandparents wearing them but yeah it's just there's something about him it's like he feels threatening when he's walking out and he's standing there one arm wrapped up in a cast and the other one having a steel chair and he's just walking with a purpose to the ring and he's like i mean we we'll get into it later in the match but he's coming for blood yes indeed indeed and he sets the chair up and just sits down and stares back towards the entranceway again acting as a bit of security but he's not there to be security for the whole show, like the MWW wrestlers. He's there as security for one of the horsemen. He's yeah. there for security for Ric Flair because he's the enforcer. And that's a little character trait that maybe gets overlooked in this episode of Nitro because he's not there the rest of the time, but he's there when the horsemen are there. And I think that's quite important as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, Benoit and Mongo then follow a few moments later. And they sort of stand a bit further back, hovering around, just keeping an eye on things. I mean, this match, again, there's not masses that goes on here. Flair throws a few chops uh, before eventually we get the figure four. Relatively early, Danny, I thought. It seemed to be like this match wasn't going to go very long when he slapped on the figure four. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, I was thinking, oh, this is just a quick squash match to get um, the booty man on television and get Ric Flair an easy win. But no, after that, it did go quite a while. And I think the biggest thing that shocked me was um, Ric Flair just doing a blatant low blow in front of the referee and mm. just getting away with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it becomes apparent very quickly, though, that the Horseman and Flair, they don't care about winning this match. Yeah. They don't. They don't care about a wrestling contest here. They're here to send a message, and I loved everything about this. Yeah, it, it's old horseman style. Uh, it, it's the old, you know, group. I mean, they're, they're a gang. And Arn he cuts a promo shortly where he references saying, "We were the original 
and, and were the were the best and all this sort of stuff. And this is exactly what the horsemen were like back in those days. All four of them attack the booty man whilst he's still in the figure four, and they beat the living piss out of this guy. They are destroying him with chairs, and it's a four-on-one attack. And nobody else with WCW wants to get involved. They're not interested. And it's it's really quite brutal what happens. And the commentary are putting over the fact that being Hulk Hogan's friend, yeah, you know, if you are Hulk Hogan's friend, it's not a good time for you to be in WCW. Referencing not the booty man, but referencing Ed Leslie, I think, mm-hmm. on screen as being Hogan's buddy. And the horsemen waste this guy, don't they? Oh man, this made this is my favorite thing about this episode. Um I just wrote down, is this what the um, Four Horsemen were like in the 80s? And you've just said, yes, like this is what the original Four Horsemen would do. Um, They came off very, the reasoning why they did it, because we had the build-up of last week when the Four Horsemen were taken out. Um, Now they're like, okay, we're coming for blood. They're going straight after Hulk Hogan's friend. Um, Bobby Heenan arrives just before this all happens and uh, we we find out Eric Bischoff is still missing somewhere as well mm. and um, but yeah Arn Anderson just and they, it's like they beat him down but even when Arn Anderson's speaking into the camera they're still beating him down behind him and it just makes a massive just impression because it's like wow like Arn Anderson's, Arn Anderson's standing there just telling you how like how badass the the four horsemen are, and then you can see glimmers of behind him of uh, booty, well, um, the booty man getting just absolutely beaten up by the the remaining four horsemen. I loved it, mate. It is so good. It is so good. Yeah. Arn's promo is, uh, and we seem to say this pretty much every time Arn Anderson talks to the camera, but Arn's promo is brilliant. Yeah, he's looking dead into the camera. And he's calling out Hogan. He's calling yeah. out the outsiders. And he's saying that you're fighting with something you don't understand. You're going up against a group that you don't stand a chance against. Um, you want our attention. You've got it. You know, we're the four horsemen and all. And it's just so good. And then Mongo has a little bit of a, a, a bit of mic time, which again was, was okay. He, you know, he, he did what he needed to do without going too long. Even Benoit here, comes across competent on the microphone. I've been very critical of Benoit in previous weeks here on Nitro Nights, but in this moment, he doesn't go too long on the mic. He doesn't yeah. refer to himself as a quiet fart or anything like that. <laughs> and he he just literally says what he needs to say. He gets in, gets out. And yeah. it adds to what we're watching, as opposed to previous weeks, where it kind of took away from it, Danny. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, this isn't the Four Horsemen where they're doing... Uh, silly stuff at the VIP table or doing something with um, Ric Flair chasing um, keep being distracted away from horseman business while he's uh, running around chasing the women this is a serious version of Four Horsemen and I hope we get this for a long time mm. yes yes so, definitely. that's what I also wrote down was uh, now it made me want to see the Four Horsemen versus the NWO now Forget the Four Horsemen, forget Hulk Hogan versus uh, the Giant at the pay-per-view. I want to see the Four Horsemen versus the NWO. And do you know what's really strange about that as well? Mm. The Outsiders, the NWO, Hogan, that whole shebang, they're being portrayed here as heels. Yeah, They're the bad guys trying to invade and, and cause carnage and so on. Yeah. 
The horsemen are heels. I mean, Flair even references it. Hogan, you woke up one morning and decided you wanted to be a bad guy. Well, yeah. I've been, we've been doing this for years. You know, and they, they're not here like, like an anti-hero, like a Steve Austin coming yeah. in, clearing house, and, and the crowd love it. They're not here as baby faces in any way stretch of the imagination. They're here as bad guys. They are heels. They are nasty. It's four on one. It's brutal. And they're turning around to another group of heels and saying, you've got our attention now. Is this what you wanted? Because now you've got it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's so good. I mean, Flair as well. Flair's promo. Flair's promo is almost in two parts because the booty man gets sent to the outside. And Flair grabs the microphone and rants a little bit, goes to the outside, carries on kicking the shit out of Ed Leslie on the outside while shouting into the mic. Yeah. Gets back into the ring, gives the microphone back to Mean Gene, and then starts ranting at Hogan a bit more. And it's just, it, I mean, it's the whole, you know, strength in numbers thing of the four horsemen. That was always the way they operated. You go back to the stuff of Dusty in 85, 86, the stuff with Luger, the stuff with uh, when Wyndham joined the horsemen and all this. It This is what made the horsemen brilliant to me. Yeah. This is what made the horsemen still to this day in my mind the horsemen are the number one faction in professional wrestling yeah. because the nwo may have been cooler dx may have been funnier uh evolution may have put on great matches whatever you know the elite obviously got to do what they do the bullet club and all this sort of stuff the horsemen were maybe not the original which is what some a lot of people say or they were the original stable and that's maybe not the case because you had other groups like you know the, the first family and, and all this sort of stuff but the horsemen, whereas may not be the original, they were the first group to really do it well mm. and really draw money with the babyface. And they would make the babyface. Yeah. Mean, Dusty, Dusty was always popular. And when Dusty was going into his, his programs with Flair and the horsemen in the mid-80s, he'd already been around the block. He'd already won a couple of world titles and so on. But Flair... And then, you know, secondary to that, members of the Horsemen, they helped make Sting when he was first getting into the world title picture. Yeah. L Luger was nobody in 87, other than a body guy who could work a few matches. When he got kicked out the Horsemen and they let Barry Windham took his place and they beat up Luger, I think it was 87, and left him blooded in the car park, that made Luger. The fans, the fans were desperate for Luger to get to get his own back on the Horsemen and beat Flair for the title. These, this group of wrestlers, whether it was the Tully Blanchard version, the original of Ole Anderson as well as Arn, or my personal favourite is the, the the incarnation with Windham in it. They made baby faces and they sold tickets, you know. And also, you add to that. Something you, something you won't get with Hogan the majority of the time in the NWO, something you don't get with other groups as well. Like I mentioned, the first family, which was Jimmy Hart's uh, f faction for many years. The match quality may not always have been great. With the Horsemen, I mean, Ric Flair, for crying out loud, was the leader. Arn Anderson was his enforcer. And then in one of my favorite incarnations, as I said, you've got Barry Windham there. And then you had Tully Blanchard tagging with Arn or whatever. Not only did they make money, not only did they make baby faces, not only did they make storylines, when the bell rang, 
it was brilliant action as well. And yeah. this here is a real snippet. It's almost like a little time capsule back to 86, back to 87 of the horseman. I mean, it's not as good as that, but it's getting there. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it, Danny. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I mean, we'd even touch upon this, the brutality that the booty man suffered. I can't see oh, him bollocks back. to him. <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't see him coming back. But it also made me feel, okay, then who's going to be next? Who of Hulk Hogan's friends? Could we be seeing Jim Duggan going down? Could we be seeing the Nasty Boys going down, even though they claim that they don't care one way or the other about Hulk Hogan? But it just made me scan the roster and think, okay, who's next? Who can who who are the four horsemen going to attack next? It's just it's just brilliant. And again, it's that whole it goes into the history of things as well. Because WCW obviously at this point is owned by Turner and all that sort of stuff. But WCW came directly from Jim Crockett promotions and, and that whole NWA allegiance and all that sort of stuff. So they've got the history with the horsemen in this company, stroke territory, however you want to look at it. So they the, the longer term fans are familiar with this group. The NWO coming in are literally called the Outsiders. They are an invading faction coming into this. Uh, I keep referencing it as a territory. It's much bigger than that, of course, it is. But just for argument's sake, I'll use that term. You've got the Outsiders group coming in and invading this territory. And then you've got the horsemen who for years have been the bad guys defending it, but not turning babyface and acting like the good guys defending their territory and themselves is their main motivation i guess but yeah. defending it how the horsemen know how by being evil bastards yes yeah. to me it's fantastic and it sets up so much going forward yeah it really does uh, after this we get a recap of what happened last week before we get the uh, the music hitting, the screen going black and white, and we're told the following announcement is paid for by the New World Order. And we get another vignette, the black and white, the, the ranting of Hogan, Scott Hall looking just cool as hell, talking about batting averages and swinging a bat around, and yeah. Nash making jokes at the expense of Rey Mysterio getting thrown into the trailer and all this sort of stuff. And then we hear about Hogan is going to win the world title, and then he says the following day or a few days after that or whatever it was is actually his birthday. Yeah. So then the, the screen cuts again and we've got Nash and Hall singing happy birthday to Hollywood Hogan as he pretends to tear up. It's just such nonsense, but it's gold. It really made me laugh. It's it's brilliantly entertaining. Yeah, it, it really is, mate. And it's like it just plays into their characters of yeah, we couldn't be bothered showing up um, on a night show, so we'll just send in this tape and we'll just get them that way. And mm. then it's like, how are they going to... Uh, we can't be attacked with while we're bragging about what we did to you last week. But then Sting and Lex Luger do find a way to um, get them back, don't they? Yeah, and again, this cracked me up because the tape is stopped. And I, I loved this as well, because again, it comes back to that sense of realism. The tape is stopped, and we've got Shavani and Zabisco panicking a little bit, like they weren't ready to come back on screen. But we can hear the producer talking to them. And, uh, you know, the producer is saying, oh, yeah, they, they told us to stop the tape. Luger and Sting are in the truck. They told us to stop the tape. So they get a camera back to the production truck, and Luger and Sting are in the production truck, basically saying, why are you playing that NWO stuff? Yeah. You know, is NWO on your T-shirt? 
which is kind of ironic, really, because NWO is not on anyone's T-shirt at this point. But you know what I mean. And they're sort yeah. of saying, you know, they're, they're basically hinting at somebody in the production truck being NWO. And yeah. it's all deadly serious. And they're cross. And there's somebody on the phone to somebody else saying, I was told to stop playing it. No, no, I appreciate you've paid for this, but I've been told to stop paying it. They're in the truck now, which adds another little, you know, a little adage to that whole thing about that they're paying for their ad time. Yeah. And then they, they say, we're going to stay here and make sure no more silliness happens. Until Sting goes, oh, actually, I've got pot pie and mountain dew in my trailer. And Luger looks genuinely excited that he's going to go get some <laughs> pot pie and mountain He's like, really? Really? You've got pot pie and mountain dew in your trailer? Well, let's go. And they both bugger off back to Sting's trailer for a bit of pie and drink. <laughs> this was brilliant. Um I love this because um, it's like it goes straight back to your analogy about um, the excited kids that are just like killing time and are just waiting for that three o'clock Zoom visit, and they and it's like, yeah, we're here, we're doing the right thing, but oh, look at this, I've got something shiny over here, we can go back to my trailer. <laughs> and- exactly, we're doing the best for WCW. What's yeah. that? You've got a pie and some fizzy pop. Blood, yeah, let's go to your house. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. And uh, I don't think anyone else could have pulled this off except Sting and Lex Luger because they, these two were just like, this night was, they, you're dead on. They were just comedy gold. It's just so silly. And I mean, Sting saying, I've got three pot pie and mountain dew in my trailer is one thing. But Luger is behind him. And if you ever rewatch this, there's a moment where, I mean, Luger goes, that sounds good to me. It's before that, where Sting announces he's got free pot pie and mountain dew. Luger's face lights up. It's the most emotion he has shown in months. He is really, <laughs> really happy about getting some pie. It is brilliant. He is, he's so excited. Oh, yes. Mountain dew and free pot pie. Get in, Stinger. He's <laughs> It's so funny. We get this business here. We don't care about anything else. Let's just go. Oh, I bet New World Order don't have a free pot pie. No. <laughs> he looks over the moon. He really does. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, after Lex nips off with Stinger to, to go and get their, uh, I suppose, their mid-evening snack, we have Sergeant Pittman making his way to the ring with Teddy Long, and he is taking on the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Giant, and effectively, it the match starts. We get a little bit of nonsense, a choke slam, and the giant wins. Danny, that's kind of it, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it goes back to a lot of these matches uh, on this night. There's not a lot um, to break down in terms of res- in-ring wrestling, but this for me um, was an, an exact repeat of what they did last week with Greg the Hammer Valentine, where the whole thing was there to show how powerful his choke slam was and have him cut the same promo he cut last week. But um, there's one thing in this was like, um, yeah, um, Teddy Long looks like he sandbags um, the giant a little bit. What did you think? Or maybe he's just that heavy. I mean, I don't know. Um, (laughs) He went up harder than uh, Sergeant Craig Pittman because the giant looked like he was struggling to get him up. Yeah, I mean, after the match, the giant goes to choke slam Pittman again, and his manager comes into the ring, uh, Teddy Long, and convinces him not to do that. 
But Teddy Longley gets chokeslammed himself, which I thought was a nice touch. But you're right, yeah. it, it, the timing's off. I don't think he jumps with the Giant when he should. Yeah. So then the Giant's already committed to having him in the air. So he's literally got to use his own strength to manoeuvre him into the slam. And he doesn't take a very comfortable looking bump, but no. I'm, sh- I'm sure he was fine. But, and then straight after that, we get Scottish Daddy's limo count number seven. So. Yes, the limo is back. <laughs> It's back. Uh, perhaps that. Perhaps they've heard about the three pot pie and Sting's trailer. <laughs> you know, you got Scott Hall. Like, hey, Big Kev, pot pie, <laughs> Chico, pot pie. You know, it's <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so they're gonna go and make friends with Luger now and uh, try and try and get some Mountain Dew, I guess. But um, <laughs> uh, we then get a Glacier promo, just in case you have forgotten that he exists. We get a timely reminder there before our main event of the evening of Sting and Luger versus the Nasty Boys. Um, the Steiners come out as well because they're going to stand stand guard, I suppose. They are extra security. Uh, the heels effectively just dominate Sting. The Nasty Boys dominate Sting for a huge portion of this match before the hot tag to Luger. Luger yeah. attempts the rack, kind of gets knocked off a little bit, doesn't quite complete the move. And at this point, if you look from the hard cam through the ropes to where the empty seats are on the other side, in front of them, ambling around, is the Barbarian, acting yeah. as his security role. And I don't think I've ever seen a wrestler look so bored in my life. <laughs> You're dead on with that. <laughs> he really did. It was. I mean, he's been sat out there for two hours. He's like, can I just go home now, please? <laughs> he's like, oh my god, I'm doing this security work. Nobody, you know, the only risk was that car, and they just went and got some flowers out of it anyway. And I've heard someone's got pot pie in the back, and I got to stand here. You know, I'm fully <laughs> with the barbarian. You know, but there we go. Yeah. We get a little bit of stuff on the outside with the Nasty Boys and Rick Steiner, uh, which I'm assuming is going to lead to something eventually, or maybe it won't because, you know, WCW. And then (laughs) Sting (laughs) applies the Scorpion Deathlock to get the win via submission. We go to an ad break. We come back. And Mean Gene is in the ring with Sting and Luger and a couple of young kids who... I hope it, I don't know if it was. Maybe you can tell me, Danny. Are, are these the kids that were trying to interact with Sting and Luger on the outside earlier? Oh, I, maybe. Oh, let's just say yes. Okay. <laughs> because that would make a better story. <laughs> yeah, and they get they get to sort of hit a couple of you know flexing poses yeah, with the baby faces and yeah, it was a nice touch. I liked that. Yeah. Uh, Sting and Luger decide to head to the limo to see if the outsiders are actually there after a drawn out ridiculous debate between the two sting sting saying there's one in a million chance the outsiders might be in that limo and then luger responding oh do you think they might be though is it worth it and then sting responding there's a one in a million chance and then luger says yeah but do you think we should and if i was sting i'd just be like look dude you've drank my mountain dew i've given you a pie can we just go open the limo door please <laughs> It was very, very drawn out. It was like they were killing time. It was bad, and wasn't it? <laughs> I feel like, uh, um, killing time because of later on when Tony Giovanni jumps the gun, but I'm not going to jump the gun on that because we're not there yet. But yeah, I feel like they were just wasting minutes here just to uh, be like, oh, should we just get to the um, the crescendo of the, of the uh, angle here? But yeah, it was very drawn out. But the thing is, they screw it up. Timing wise, they screw it up. If they just <laughs> shut up and went, oh, uh, Sting says to Gene, 
hang on, did you say something about a limo? I liked that because it's like Sting was unaware because he's been wrestling, you know? And, and yeah. Gene's like, yeah, there's a, the limo's back. It, and Sting looks at Luger and goes, well, we got to go check it out, surely. Luger says, yeah, let's go. That works for me because they're the brave baby faces. They're the good guys going to tackle the bad guys. Having yeah. them go, oh, there's not much of a chance of them being in there. Shall we go have a look? And Luger going, nah, I can't be, bar- I can't be bothered, mate. I can't be arsed. It's like, it, it, and it goes on for so long, which then when they get to the limo, we're basically told, I mean, if you're watching on the WWE Network, which I imagine most people watching along uh, with Nitro Nights do, the show goes off the air. Yeah. They open the door of the limo. There's a bag thrown at them or Sting snatches a bag or something. And they're going to, they're talking about opening the bag and the, the show goes off the air. They've ran too long. So if you're watching at home in 1996, the last thing you see is them finally open the door. You don't see who's in there and they grab a bag and they talk about opening the bag. And then the show goes off the air. You don't know what happens oh. on the network. We're very lucky because we get yeah. a little caption at the bottom saying exclusive footage filmed after the show went off the air and it carries on for us and we'll get to that in a moment but if they didn't waste so much time arguing about there being one in a million chance or rabbiting on about bloody pot pie in a trailer (laughs) they'd have had the extra literally all they need was the extra five seconds of tv time to get the opening of the bag and seeing the note on air yeah uh, now, I had a question about this, please. Um, okay. Where do you think, I mean, they filmed this, they put it on the network. Do you think they ever aired this anywhere? Like, I can't see how WWE would put this on te- on their network, but yet WCW didn't bother. I mean, had no one seen this until the WWE network, do you know? That's a brilliant question. I I don't know. I imagine if they've run out of TV time, they've run out of TV time. Yeah. And the caption came up saying that this was exclusive bonus footage or something along those lines, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and the caption that came up was WWE network captioning. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah, It was added by the network. So I'm thinking that that cuts off the people watching live in 96 don't see what happens after that wow but i'm wondering if and you'll be able to confirm for us if on saturday night we get that put in Mm. because saturday night this week or the the coming week that we're we're heading to for the pay-per-view is being broadcast the same evening as the pay-per-view and it's being discussed on this episode of nitro as being a two-hour pre-show, almost a two-hour lead-in to the pay-per-view. Yeah. So I imagine it's going to get aired on Saturday night because the the note that is in the bag uh, is is a huge hook to try and get people to buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, th- we'll cover that now. The night the, the bag first of all says Turner on the outside of it. Uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not. They point it to the camera, but it doesn't seem. I I don't know. And. Mm. Sting makes a big deal about there being no NWO logo on the bag and, yeah. and, and laughing at them about it. It's like, all right, Sting, bloody hell. That, that's, a, that's a random thing to try and mock them for, isn't it? They've been kicking yeah. your ass for weeks and you're laughing at a bag. Okay, but never mind. Yeah. And um, 
they open the bag and in there is a, a, a sheet of A4 paper with it's effectively got an NWO logo on it. It's got an NWO letterhead, I suppose might be the term. Yeah. yeah. And it basically harks back to last week's attack and confirms Rey Mysterio was right. There yeah. is four of us. Or is there five? See you in Sturgis. Now, if you've got that on your Monday night TV show, and you've got people watching and they are invested in the product, in the NWO invasion, which obviously people are because we see the ratings. Yeah. You know what's happening in the pay-per-view, which we're going to come to shortly because we've got to go do our run-through as to what matches you can you, you know is booked and that, Danny. Yeah. But if you've got someone who's having an ring about booking the pay-per-view, and then you see this note saying there's actually four of us now, confirming there is four guys in the NWO, straight away you're thinking oh why oh why I'm, i need to book this pay-per-view but yeah. even if that doesn't get you over the line the line of or is there actually five of us see you in sturgis that makes you go oh my goodness there's loads of them yeah. and i would be i would be 15 year old me at this point would be saying dad can i have the money to book this pay-per-view yeah but it didn't go on the tv <laughs> And back then, um, if there was a WCW website, I really doubt that they would have something like this as a website exclusive. I don't think that happened until way after the late 90s. Mm, yeah. I mean, uh, there, was, there was a WCW website, wasn't there? Because they talk about... Yeah. Get, yeah. Um, can you remember the, the name for the WCW website, Danny? The, the, the web address? Uh, is it worldwide.com? No. It's, I mean, it changes in later years. Yeah. But when we first started nitro and they were plugging their website at some point maybe quite recently i don't know the the web address reads www.wcwwrestling.com yeah which makes sense until you break down what these things stand for <laughs> because you've got wcwwrestling.com so they're saying www.worldchampionshipwrestlingwrestling.com and then the same thing happened with uh, Global Force Wrestling on their Twitter account where they just had GFW Wrestling, Global Force Wrestling Wrestling. <laughs> yes. It's fine <laughs> if nobody, uh, you know, doesn't, if, if people only use the initials, I suppose. But there we go. Yeah. yeah. But that's, uh, that's it. We're told, see you in Sturgis via this note. Ray was right. There's four of us. Or is there five? And that's a big hook. So I'm interested yeah. now when we sit down to do our recording for next week's Nitro Nights. Yeah. First of all, we look at the pay-per-view, which is always good fun. I love a pay-per-view day, of course. But I'm also massively intrigued to see what happens on Saturday night with the mm -hmm. build-up and, and their sort of two-hour lead-in, as they word it, into the pay-per-view. Because we've not had that before, Danny, have we? No, we certainly haven't. I mean, if, I mean we've, we discussed it last week. Um, they are really ramping up Saturday night, and we saw it in this episode as well. Um, they have multiple replays of what happened. Uh, they had it last week with Dean getting attacked in the parking lot. They're trying to make, and it's working, um, WCW Saturday night more watchable. And it's like, okay, you might miss something on if you skip over our Saturday night show and just stick to the Mondays. So they are doing a good job. Yeah, exactly. And that's the purpose of doing it, is making all their television must-see. 
you know, it's making all that television can't miss. And so like we talked about yeah. the limo turning up halfway through the ladies match earlier, same point of view. It's making everything must see. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I, I sit here now saying that it's making it must see. It's making it unmissable television. I still ain't going to watch Saturday night just so we're clear. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find I'll find some clips. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay. Uh before we run through the pay-per-view and see how well WCW have done with letting us know what is going to be on the card, we need to rate this episode of Nitro with our usual ratings system and our plus points and our negatives, our O brothers and our woos. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny. First or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, mate. Okay, no problem at all. Uh, where are you so, going? So with Wu, it would definitely be the feeling of WCW. Because we did see some silly moments, but overall, it felt like WCW hit a massive punch back to the NWO, and they weren't just sitting ducks, especially with the Four Horsemen. But the fact that um, Sting and Lex Luger were also very active as well, and we had um, them just staking out the Nasty Boys, and it showed that they were willing to fight the whole promotion, WCW. We had Tony Schiavone and Larry Sabisco and Bobby Heenan a little bit as well, um, just just putting the emphasis on we are fighting back. And the absence of Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan helped that as well because it didn't overshadow WCW, um, and especially when they, they said they wanted to fight back. So that would be mine, mate, yeah. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my woo. I mean, there's a lot that could have stepped into this for me. Um, Luger and Sting made me laugh, which is potentially a woo for me. But the biggest part of that, I think, is that they were very, very funny, but they maybe didn't mean to be funny, which kind of <laughs> takes away from it a touch. Um, I like the idea of the security, the wrestlers being the security themselves. That was a nice touch. I like the whole chaotic feel of the show. Yeah. The limo turning up, going away, coming back, the flowers, uh, the hearing the producer, Luger and Sting being in the truck. I liked all of that. That, that was fantastic. Um, but my woo has to go to, well, the biggest choice I had was between the note at the end, because I thought that was just a cool moment. But it goes to... Arn Anderson's promo Ooh. again an Arn Anderson promo again gets my woo of the week the whole horseman segment especially with somebody who loves the horseman and that past era of wrestling yeah. this was the highlight of the show for me buddy yeah fantastic right uh, your O oh brother your negative to me um, it, this week it has to be the commentary on in terms of like when they were having matches, um, they did focus. Uh, for me, it was a little bit too much on who's in the limo. Where who, like they just kept asking the same question, especially during the Alex White Chris Benoit match. It was like who's in that limo? Who's it? And they weren't. They missed a lot of um, moves as well. So it would just be uh, my one would just be the commentary with um, just asking who's in the limo. I didn't mind the limo being there. But it's just a bit too much time during the matches asked about who's in the limo. That was mine, mm. mate. What was okay. yours? Uh, mine is quite simply the nasty boys. Get off my <laughs> fucking TV. <laughs> yeah. I don't Fair see enough. the purpose. I don't see the point. Yeah. It, uh, the booty man to a lesser degree as well. The booty man, there was a reason for him being there. Yeah. He He's being sold as Hogan's friend and he's been beaten down by the horseman. 
as much as I don't like the guy, at least we get to see Kimberly and his purpose made storyline sense. The Nasty mm-hmm. Boys, you're making the show look old. You're making the show look cartoony. Get off yeah. my TV. <laughs> but there we go. Overall, then, Danny, hit, miss, or middling this week, bud? Big hit this week, mate. Um, there was a lot on this uh, that was going on. Uh, we said it earlier, there wasn't much um, to write home about in terms of in-ring action or anything like that. There was a few good moments, but yeah, um, this was all about building to the pay-per-view, so it gets a massive hit from me. How about yourself, mate? Um, I'm not as convinced. I yeah. would say it's probably a, a low-end hit or high-end middle. It's kind of that borderline for me again. Yeah. Probably probably more of a high-end middle for me. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few segments that sort of move storylines along, which is good. The horseman stuff was fantastic. Uh, the note at the end, the reveal that there's four or maybe five, I thought was fantastic television. But then the Rock and Roll Express, Colonel Robert Parker, the booty man, the nasty boys. I, I can't give a show a hit when it's got all those missteps in it. So I think yeah. it's a, a high end middle for me this week, bud. That's cool, man. Before we depart, Danny. Our next episode of Nitro Nights, because as everyone knows, we go in timeline order. So from this Nitro, we head to the next WCW show, which is not Saturday Nights. Danny will cover that next week. But it is the Hog Wild pay-per-view. Can you give me a rundown of what WCW have told you is going to be on this card? Yep. So I'm going to say we know Chris Benoit um, is going to face Dean Malenko. Yes. We- we know there's going to be a battle of the bikes match between Medusa and Borna Kano. Yep. We know Rick Flair is going to be facing Eddie Guerrero. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep, for the US Championship. And we know uh, the Outsiders are going to be facing Sting and Lex Luger mm-hmm. and the World Championship match between Hollywood Hogan and the Giant. That's what I could remember. Um, how about you, mate? Would you be able to fill in the gaps? Uh, there's a tag title match, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Harlem yeah. Heat are defending the titles. Is that the Steiners, I think, they're facing? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I want to say Rey Mysterio is on the card, but I can't remember if that's been announced or not, or if I'm getting confused with a past pay-per-view. But I, what I, in my head, I'm thinking the Cruiserweight title is involved, but I'm not sure if that's changed now because he was beaten up. Hmm. But I think overall, yeah. what 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 we've listed between us, the majority yourself and, and me adding one or two matches there, I think we've pretty much covered what's going to be on the pay-per-view. So WCW have done a decent enough job, I guess, on this occasion of promoting their show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just shows in the booking of uh, where each, a lot of the stories um, in this were just, like you said earlier, they were being pushed forward, especially the main story of... Um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus uh, Lex Luger and Sting. Mm. Yes, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting because obviously we've had the outsiders come in. We've had all that hype. We've had who's the third man. We've had the Hogan turn. We've had outsiders on Nitro. We've had Hogan on Nitro momentarily a couple of occasions. Yeah. Now they're effectively going into their second pay-per-view. Everyone is going to be wrestling wearing the black and white. Hmm. Or at least outsiders colours anyway. Wrestling big high profile matches. Hogan is obviously going for the world title. 
this really feels like they've arrived now because they're integrated into the card. So yeah. I, I think this is going to be quite an interesting show. Yeah. But that is for next week's Nitro Nights. Uh, Danny, before we depart this week, John, let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me and Si ride into Sturgis next week on the, on the next uh, Nitro Nights. Brum, brum, my friend, brum, brum. Um, <laughs> anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. So that is at SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook. And all your podcast players, providers and platforms, search SJP World Media. And all new episodes from all shows appear on the main feed there, as well as all shows involved in the network having their own separate feed as well. So if you love a bit of old school WCW um, listening to this show here, but you're not a fan of Doctor Who, you can just listen to the Nitro Nights stream itself and check out all the Nitro Nights episodes, back catalogue and so on. Or if you don't like wrestling, first of all, while you're listening to this, you weirdo. But if you don't like wrestling there and you want to check out the Doctor Who pod or you want to check out um, the Murder in Mind podcast, they've all got their own separate streams too. Or if you just want to dip your toe in, listen to everything on the network and see what you like and what you dislike, again, at SJP World Media, check out the main feed there. But most importantly, you can follow this show itself at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Nitro underscore nights Danny I've loved it it's been a blast I will speak to you next week my friend when we head to Sturgis take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening